0: We are in a series called Who is Jesus? And the last few weeks, we've been really looking at the high side of Jesus' identity, that he is equivalent with the Father, that he is um, the, the, the representation of God in the flesh. The Son of God has taken on human form to communicate who God is to the world. And today we're going to approach it from a different angle, which is if Jesus is so present there in the Bible when he appears, if he is so present and so full of God and God's presence, and he's putting on display for the people around him, he's putting on display who God actually is, why is he missed? Why do people miss him? And we're going to be looking at um, three stories from the Gospel of John. You can turn there to John chapter 6. Many of you know that um, Jesus revealed his identity through these I am statements throughout the Gospel of John. But three of those happen kind of like bang, 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 like right one after another in John 6 through 8. We're briefly going to look at each of those, not in terms of an in-depth Bible study, but more looking at them as an overview of as Jesus reveals who he is, how is it possible that people miss him? So this is um, John chapter six. Each of the I am statements that we'll talk about today, um, the precursor of it is one of Jesus famous moments in scripture. So the first one is Jesus feeds 5,000 and, um, the people are are just, you know, they enjoy being fed a meal by Jesus. And then then night comes and the disciples and Jesus, they actually disappear from the crowd that's seeking Jesus. The people wake up and they're, where are where's Jesus? And they actually get into boats, go to the other side of the lake, and the word says that they're seeking Jesus. And so we can pick it up there in John chapter six, verse twenty-five. says, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Skip down to verse 30. So they say to him, well, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Be careful when you quote scripture to Jesus. (laughs) Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. Skip down to verse 41. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that comes down from heaven they said is this not jesus the son of joseph whose father and mother we know again skip down to 47 verse 47 jesus says this truly truly i say to you whoever believes has eternal life i am the bread of life your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. At this, those listening really struggle with what Jesus is saying. And he goes on, and he does not let up. He talks about that if you want eternal life, you must partake of my body. This is the invitation that Jesus is offering to them. And he says in verse 58, This is the bread, this is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread that the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Verse 60. Even his own disciples listen to the way that they respond. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Skip down to verse 66. And after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, he looks to his 12 closest. He says, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answers him, Lord, to whom shall we go? you have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And this first I am statement is a statement about satisfaction. And it all starts when Jesus feeds the hungry. Isn't that interesting? Jesus filling a need, he creates this group of seekers (coughs) But then Jesus calls out in them, well, you're seeking me for temporary things, not eternal things. You just want your fill today. That's all you really want. But that's not how it works. If you truly want to be my disciple, if you want to believe in who I am, then here, eat my body. Whoever believes in me has eternal life. And Jesus is making this distinction. Uh, He's going back into their story, into their ancient scriptures. And he's um, he's shaking them. He's saying, don't miss this. If you miss this, you're going to miss me. The manna was temporary. When people ate manna, they needed to go get it the next day and the next day. But eventually they died. Jesus is saying, the bread that I'm offering, which is in my body... Is different. It's eternal. What I'm offering you as the bread of life is eternal life. And I think Jesus is essentially saying it this way that that you must take me into your innermost being if you want to um, believe in me in the way that I'm talking about. And it will have impacts on how you view life. And how you view what I give you. And they really struggle with this. You know, so much so that when Jesus says, Eat my flesh, it, it's a, it's a cause for them to turn away. So we should see this that as Jesus opens up to the room who he truly is, the people are confronted with something inside of them, which is, oh, I thought I thought I was getting something temporary here. He's, he's talking about something that is different, and I think we can we can do do this in our own lives. Um, we can keep Jesus at arm's length and then come to him in times of need, but really keep that separation even in our daily walk. And I'm not saying that this is a, an easy thing to resolve. But it is a reality that Jesus is calling us to come to Him, not for temporary things, though He certainly speaks into that. But His His primary goal is to give us eternal life, and that's what He says here. He says, um, "I am the bread of life." I'm really thankful that He makes it very clear in verse 35 when He makes this statement: "I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger." And whoever believes in me shall not thirst. The coming to Jesus is, is a belief. It's a belief that invites us into this eternal life. So though um, Jesus is really creating a difficult thing to comprehend in this moment, the way we see it unfold, it still begins in belief. And that's, that's where the invitation begins. So that's the first picture is that Jesus says, I am the bread of life. The next one, um, this second picture has to do with how Jesus sheds light on the way that we live. And again, it it picks up in a familiar story. You can skip over to John chapter 8. And there is a woman who is caught in adultery. The Jewish people gather around her and they try to trap Jesus because they know that um, what she deserves is condemnation and judgment from the people. And in this beautiful encounter, um, by the end of it, it's just Jesus and this woman caught in adultery. And, he's, and he says, where are your, those who condemn you? And they're gone. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Now, leave your sin and walk. Walk. And this is where we get this next um, I am statement, beginning in verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Again, what started by Jesus um, shedding light on the way a person was living, very quickly, those around him um, turn it. And th- it's funny because they don't even pay attention to what he actually says. They say, what you're saying is not true. You can't testify to yourself. And I'll summarize what happens next. Jesus says, again, you don't mess with Jesus because <laughs> he says, number one, I can testify on my own. My word on on its own is enough. But then he goes on and he says, but even in your own law, it says that the testimony of two is true. And I also have that. I have my own testimony, which will prove true. And I have the testimony of my father in heaven, which proves truth in my life, the way I'm living. So this statement and this encounter that Jesus had, where he actually I mean, look at what he says. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but your life will encounter the light of God and you will change. And he just encountered this. And then um, the people respond, Jesus, what you said is not true because your word is not truthful on its own. And that's the... the the way they confront Jesus. And he's saying, um, my testimony is true. In fact, my life, the life of Christ, he's saying, is genuine light. And he brings real illumination into someone's life. There's nothing shadowy about the life of Christ or the light that he sheds. He was actually shedding light upon life there in the moment, and yet still he was missed. Once again, Jesus is going back to the scriptures and trying to shake them and say, this is who I am. God is light. The Almighty God in Psalm 104, it says that God Almighty wraps himself in light and that he is, um, uses light as a, a garment to shield his glory. And Jesus says, I am light and I will shed light on your life. So what about you? I mean, are there times in your life where Jesus starts to kind of put that light upon you, and then you say, oh, well, Jesus, you're not allowed to say that, because over here, you, you kind of come at him from another angle, and you say, you, you're not allowed to say that, because dot, dot, dot. This is what's happening. This is what's happening. And then in this last picture, Jesus says something that they really struggle understanding. But it's, it's a further revealing of who he is. He says, before Abraham was, I am. He takes on the name of God in his own personhood. So we pick this one up. Again, there's another story that leads it. And this one is really bizarre how they respond. So look at chapter 8, verse 31. So Jesus says to the Jews who had believed him. So he's speaking to the Hebrew people that have believed in who he is. And look what he says. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. But look at their response. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. Now, if you know anything about the storyline of the Hebrew people, you know how strange of a statement that is. We are offspring of Abraham. We have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Skip over to um, verse 53. There's this dialogue where Jesus says that Abraham's not your father. You're not living that way, at least. And in fact, your father is the devil if this is how you're going to think. And he calls this out on them. They, They say, well, then obviously a demon is in you. And it comes to this crescendo in verse 53 where the people cry out, And they asked Jesus, Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and you say you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, Truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to stone him, but he disappeared because it wasn't his time. Again, we see here that when Jesus offers freedom, there's this rejection. Oh, I I don't need that. In fact, in all of my history, I've never been enslaved. Why, why would you offer me freedom? This is, this is the way that they shut down who Jesus is. And Jesus does not let them do that. He, he pushes them into this really amazing statement. In Exodus 3, when Moses was commissioned by God to go back to Egypt to rescue the Israelites, from slavery. Moses asked by what name he was to identify the God that was speaking to him. And God spoke to Moses and said, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And when, when Jesus says um, before Abraham was, I am, he's really pushing them into this reality that he is saying, before anything else I am, nothing comes before me. You're trying to kind of put your history before me. And in doing so, you're missing the freedom that I'm offering. And I think we can do this as well. There's ways that we um, think about our past and we resist the truthfulness that Jesus offers and potentially the freedom that he offers is what we miss by holding on to something in our past that he wants us to move forward from. So as we think about each of these statements, we can see very clearly that as Jesus further reveals who he is in all of these um, pictures. They become more deep and more intricate and actually make it more clear on who he is and what he's inviting people into. The irony is that people still miss him. So why? Why does he get missed? Jesus also calls himself the gate. And he says... Narrow is, small as the gate and narrow the path that leads to life eternal, and only a few find it. And Jesus' way, what he invites us into, it's not that it's exclusive, it's that it requires um, everything to change. And that's, when Jesus truly reveals himself, That is what we all are confronted with. Will we go forward into this belief and then live this life in an eternal sense? Not thinking that Jesus is this temporary solution to my daily problems, but that he is at work eternally in my life. That as we go through life, we remain spiritual infants to the very end because we are on the front ends of our spiritual life in Christ. We're all babies for those of us who believe in Jesus. And we think that, okay, we just get mature. And and there certainly is maturity in life, hopefully. But what Jesus is calling us into is not anything temporary. And Here's another beautiful thing that I think's really helpful. At first encounter, we often resist in the same ways. We defend ourselves. We, we doubt Jesus, that his word is enough or even the integrity of scripture. We turn away because um, we, we shut what Jesus is doing down in our lives using similar arguments, wanting similar proofs, holding on to similar lies from our past. But yet in time, through his grace and through his mercy, we, we come to the fullness of who Jesus is. And then we say, yes, I will partake of this. I will take it in. And I will, I will eat this bread. I will drink this cup. I will follow after Jesus in the way that he lived. And, and this is the way he invites us to go. The way scripture is revealed is that we we get these little glimmers of the moment in time. So we often wonder, well, if Jesus was right there, so visible, why did people turn away? We've already said on the one hand, it's because when you're confronted with Jesus, to believe is is to be transformed and to have change actually go through your life. The other part of it is that in, this, in these scriptures we see just a glimmer of what happens. In Romans, it says in chapter two that the secrets of the hearts of men will be judged by God at the name of Jesus Christ. And we don't know. Um, James says, show no partiality. You're not the judge. Um, Romans 1 talks about that, how there's, and two, there's only one judge. It's, it's the God Almighty. And he's looking at us through the lens of Jesus Christ. Thomas, after Jesus raised from the dead, he, he said something because he kind of missed one of Jesus' appearances. And then he said, okay, I will not believe unless I can see him, touch his wounds, then I will believe. And actually says a week goes by because Jesus gives him time to sit in this statement. And then, then he comes back and Jesus says to him, says to him, have you, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And that's the invitation for all of us is to believe in this Jesus when we haven't seen him. And as we go out both in our own lives internally, in our loved ones, and also in the world. We, as we offer who Jesus is, we have to be careful because we don't want to just make this a wide road that, and, and people may be leading themselves to destruction. So we want to be careful as we offer who Jesus is. Um, but we also want to invite people into the fullness of that. And it does, it begins with belief. And then the Lord changes us in time through his grace and his mercy. So we could all end with this question, which was Jesus' question from the beginning, the first encounter. He looks to his disciples and, and he says, do you want to go away also? So we each have to respond in our own way. Lord, to whom else would we turn? You hold the words of eternal life. And I believe and I know that you are the Holy One in front of me. So that's that's the invitation that we each have. We are gonna end this service with the Lord's table. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger and he who believes in me will never thirst. This table is a remembrance of what the Lord did through his body. In his body, he um, gave himself up for the whole world so that the whole world might believe in him and come to know him. That was his desire. And I want to invite you into that thought. Um, As you take this bread as a believer in Jesus, um, remind yourself that you you have entered in, that you will follow Jesus with this belief in a way that will change your life. And then we just go through our normal, ordinary life. Monday is coming, right? And we just continue to live, but we live not completely in a temporary way, but we live with an eternal mindset that takes time to work out. Maybe you have just never said, Jesus is Lord. I love you, Jesus. Jesus, you're my Savior. You are my salvation. And you have paid the full price for my eternal life. If you've never really been able to verbalize that, then um, this table could represent to you a confession, a confession of your faith. Be careful not to take it um, without thoughtfully thinking about who Jesus is. But don't run from it. Don't resist it. Um, This is what the Lord has offered us in his name. And this is the life that he invites us into. So allow me to pray for us as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. This is a, it's a lyrical poem. It's called Take Up My Cross. The very hands that formed the heavens wear the wounds of man for our transgression. Who could comprehend so I bow again. You laid your life upon an altar as a sacrifice, broken and crucified for all mankind. So I come and I take up my cross. I take up my cross and I follow you, denying myself. Dem- denying myself, I will run after you. I am not my own, I am bought with the blood of the Lamb. I am not my own. I am cleansed. I am claimed. I am held in nail-torn hands. So I come and I take up my cross, take up my cross and I follow you, denying myself, denying myself. I will run after you. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen.